Can I give you an Easter dare today? That you would, going into this coming week, this is my dare, that you would be willing to say to God, if there's something that you want to say to me, I'm listening. If there's something that you want to change in me, I'm willing. If there's something that you want to add to my life, I'm open. If there's something that you want to show me, I'm willing to see. I'm willing to see. Oh, that we would dare, oh God. After this Easter weekend, when the routine of life resumes, when, when what is normal for us begins again, oh, that we would dare to have a part of our ear listening for you, an eye on the inside that's looking for what you might want to show us. Help us to never forget that we are born into this life to get us ready for the one that is to come. Make us ready. Make us ready. In Jesus' name, come on, and everybody said together, amen, amen. All right, it looks like we had a water. Oh, there you go. You guys are good. You guys are good. I'm going to give you these gift cards too, Vanessa. Is Vanessa in there? There's some. There's two more in my in my bag. If you want to dig out. One of my favorite Easter egg hunt memories. Anybody have Easter egg hunt memories? It was at, here at the church back when we were over at 28 Harpersville Road. Kids began to bring Easter eggs back to adults that were supervising because they were empty, like the video. But it wasn't just one egg or two eggs or three eggs. There were lots of eggs that were emptied. And as we began to examine the eggs, we began to realize that something had chewed through the plastic egg. Yeah. City squirrels are not to be messed with. Right? We used to do the Easter egg hunt during the childcare portion. It wasn't before. So we would set it up before the service, but the Easter egg hunt wouldn't happen until later. All right, there, there are squirrels still today, I'm sure, telling stories. I had the best acorn that I have ever eaten in my life, right? Eggs chewed through. Eggs chewed through. Easter egg hunts, being a child, the wonder of life. I remember when I was growing up, the world was very different than it is today, right? I'm getting my, my, my old man get off my lawn attitude. You know, we, we, did, we didn't have video games. We did not have internet. Kids are thinking, that's not even possible, Right? We didn't have mobile phones. On our television, we had four channels. Anybody else remember this? Am I the only old person in the room who's helping me, right? Come on. Born in 1967, we had 6, 8, and 12. CBS, ABC, and NBC. There was a fourth, but that was PBS. We weren't watching PBS, right? There was barely anything on the other three. And then this is the part that I think that kids can't understand. Probably around midnight or so, all broadcasting stopped. There was nothing on the television. 
You would turn it on, it would just be like a right? It was the invention of the sound machine right there, right there. Nothing. You know what we had when we were growing up? We had encyclopedias. Yeah, it is amazing that the world survived. Can we agree on that? That children's imaginations endured. We, encyclopedias, we, we got excited about looking at encyclopedias because they were books that had pictures in them. Right? And who else? Come on, let's reminisce a little bit. And everybody that's younger for us, I hope that you pity us in this moment, that you feel sorry for us. Our struggle was real. We played with sticks outside. That was life growing up for us. Did you know that in the year 2000, that there was an update to the seven wonders of the world? I know. Now, some of you didn't even know that there was wonders of the world because you have video games and cell phones. But when you grew up with encyclopedias, you knew about the wonders of the world. You would get excited when you would get to that part of the encyclopedia that would show. In fact, the very first list, it actually was in like, I don't know, 7 or 2 BCE. There's a slide that's going to pop up. That th This is the original list of the seven wonders of the world. In the year 2000, I discovered this this week. In the year 2000, there was a Swiss group. That, that, that created a movement to update the seven wonders of the world. Because in the year 2000, almost 2,000 years later, only one of these was even remaining. So this is the new list of the seven wonders of the world, right here. This is the new list for the last 23 years. The seven wonders of the world. Now, now why am I talking to you about the seven wonders of the world? Because on this Easter, what I want you to know is that I am convinced that the greatest wonder in the world has never been any of the things that are on this list. Not the original seven, not these seven. The greatest wonder in the world are people like you and me. If, if you've got little kids, I hope that at some point this Easter weekend that you pull them in front of a mirror somewhere in your house and you look into that mirror with your child and looking at them through that mirror, you begin to talk to them how, about how incredible they are about the miracle that their life is, that the God who created them sees them with wonder and awe and amazement. The Bible says that we are wonderfully made, wonderfully made, right? There, there is an awe that you should have about yourself because God created you. When you look at yourself in a mirror, I hope you will see that you are eternal, and that nothing on this list is. All of those things on that list of the seven wonders of the world, one day they're going to pass away. The Bible talks about a new heaven and the new earth. Those things are not going to be there. You, you and I are the wonders of this world because we're forever. You, you and I are the wonders of this world because there's nothing on that list that bears the image of God. Right? There's nothing on that list that bears the image of the creator of the universe, but you and I do. Every person that's ever lived and every person that's ever going to live has a mago day, the image of our creator. There's nothing on that list that Jesus died for. There's nothing on that list that Jesus rose from the dead. When Jesus died on the cross, when he rose from the dead and came out of that garden tomb, he was not thinking about the Great Wall of China. You with me? He was thinking about you. He was thinking about your children. He was thinking about generations that are to come.
you and I are the greatest wonders of this world. We, we gather on Easter to celebrate Jesus, and we're doing that tonight, and we're going to do it throughout this sermon. But can I just tell you that I believe that Jesus, one of the things that gets him excited about Easter is that he celebrates you. He celebrates you because he came out of that tomb for us. I want to teach you a phrase tonight, if you'll let me do that. And this is my phrase. There is a part of me that is yet to be until life with Jesus begins for me. There there is a part of me that is yet to be until life with Jesus begins for me. Now, we like to do some giveaways here. Vanessa's got some gift cards there that she's going to pass to me. Who is the oldest person in the room? Who's the oldest person in the room? I I know. There, There is somebody here that is older. I'm 56. Who in this room is older than 56? Let me see a hand. All right. All right. Who, who's older than 60? Anybody older than 60? Oh, we're narrowed down. 65? 66? 67? Hey, come on, anybody? All right, all right. You get your choice. Target or Starbucks? You're the oldest person in the room. Welcome. You're welcome. You're welcome. Come on. Now, let's, let's do this. Who is the mother... Who has the youngest child in the room? Mother who has the youngest child in the room? Born. Born. He's like, my wife is pregnant. Nice, nice, nice. Back when the church was really young and new, we, we would count women who are pregnant as two, just to get the attendance numbers up, right? Every pastor does that. All right, youngest, mother with the youngest child in the room. Somebody give me an age, youngest child. Six? Somebody younger than six? Come on, Mercedes, what you got? You got months. 14 months. Anybody else younger than 14 months? Oh, come on, nine, yes. All right, I'm not going to climb all the way up into the balcony. JJ's going to come on. Dylan's going to be the caretaker of that Starbucks gift card. He's trustworthy. He's trustworthy. It's fitting that she gets the Starbucks, Starbucks gift card instead of the Target gift card because she needs the coffee, right, if your kids are that young. Both the youngest child in this room and the oldest gentleman in this room, when they were born, they were born the same way. From the beginning of time, if Jesus doesn't come back for another thousand years, people are going to be born into this world the same way. I'm not talking about how they're born by way of process. I'm talking about how they are born in the sense that what we are at birth. We have a body, we have a soul. And we have a spirit. And that has not changed, and it's never going to change. The the greatest wonder that we all are, we are all born the same way. A body, a soul, and a spirit. This is how God created us. Our body gives us form and function. We are born into a natural world, into a finite world, into a physical world. And so God in his forethought, said they need a body. They, they need a physical body that, that is going to carry them through this time in this realm. Now, do these bodies grow and change? Yes, they do. I'm living proof of that. 
Just the other day, we were getting ready, and Vanessa looked at me and said, oh, dear God, when did you grow a sweater on your back? When did that happen? Like, yeah. All the young men that are in this room, I have a warning for you. You get excited when you're old enough to grow a beard. But can I just tell you, that is a warning light that all of the things in your body that enable you to grow hair is beginning to fall. And it starts here. And then it rises up a little bit, and then wire begins to grow instead of eyebrows. Cotton balls are produced in your ear, and then sweaters upon your back. This is your future, young men. Can we, can we just agree, ladies are beautiful throughout their whole life? Yes. Pay attention, husbands. It's a points-based system. I'm teaching you something. We're not preaching on marriage. I'm just... Points just, but dudes, not so much. We understand these bodies, they are not designed to last forever. They're not designed to last forever on purpose because we're born here so that we can be somewhere else. This body is transportation for the part of us that is eternal, that's our soul. Our soul gives us identity and eternity. It's the part of us that makes us forever, but it's also the part part of us that gives us identity in the sense that it's our personality, it's the part of us that our character forms in. Uh, it's the part of us that, that where our mind is, where our passions and our interests, it's that part of us that begins to make us unique from other people. But there's a third part to who we are, and that's the human spirit. Now, this is unique. It's the part of us that gives us life and meaning. Now, why do I choose those two words? Our spirit gives us life and meaning because this is the part of us that enables us to have a relationship with our God. It's the part of us that enables us to know God and to be known by him. Now, can you have life and meaning without knowing God and being known by him? Sure, but just a measure, just a portion of what's possible. Let me share this thought with you. Our bodies are fully present at birth. Our souls are fully present at birth. Do they change and grow and mature? Yes, they do. But they are fully present at birth. Listen to this. But the human spirit is not fully formed until life with Jesus begins. Let me say that part again. The human spirit is not fully formed until life with Jesus begins, until we are born into the family of God. Born into the family of God. We're talking about that on this Easter Saturday because we are wrapping up a sermon series that we have been in for several weeks called doxa. It is a Greek word that translates into this idea of a belief or something that we accept to be true. And in this sermon series, we've been looking at the seven, what we believe the seven foundational core beliefs of Christianity are. God is one. The Bible is true. The cross is enough. Mankind is helpless. Jesus is life. That's what we're doing tonight. Eternity is real. And the church is central. Each one of these represent a foundational belief of Christianity. And throughout this series, we've been exploring each one of these. And the one we're exploring tonight is the idea that Jesus is life. And in this series, I've been talking to you about this idea that we have to be careful that Christianity doesn't become religious intellectualism. Beliefs are an important part of Christianity, but only to the degree that those beliefs begin to change and transform us. 
I would go as far to say only to the degree that those beliefs posture us in a relationship with God and the purposes of God. And so each week I've been giving you a word. Each week I've been telling you that if you believe this, whatever the one that we are talking about, it should take us to a place. And that place is represented by a word. We've been calling it the geography of the heart. This idea that if we believe that God is one, if we believe everything about the nature of God that the Bible says to us, then it should cause trust to form in our heart towards him. Not just an idea, not, not, not the acceptance of the existence of a deity, but a father who wants to love us, a relationship that is supposed to form that builds around trust. If we believe that the Bible is true, then at some point, surrender should be a place that we find ourselves in. Do, do I just read it? Do, do I learn about it? Or do I begin to yield my life to it? See, there, religious intellectualism waits for us just on the left side of this column. But life in the family of God waits for us over here. The beliefs are supposed to take us somewhere. Jesus is life. Jesus is life. There is a part of me that is yet to be until life with Jesus begins for me. There is a part of me that is yet to be until life with Jesus begins for me. And I'm going to give you that word later tonight. Somebody say born again. Born again. Let's look at John 1, beginning in verse 10. It says, he came into the very world he created. This is speaking of Jesus. But the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people, but even they rejected him. But to all who believed him and accepted him, listen to what it says. He gave the right to become the children of God. It doesn't say he gave them the right to become the students of God. It doesn't say that he, he gave them the right to become the people who understood about God, although those things are important. It says that gave us the right to become his children, T telling us that when you and I are born into this world, we're, we're born with much. The body and the soul comes, but there is something else that is waiting for us in this life. We are born into this life so we might have the opportunity to be born into his family. He gave the right to become the children of God. They are reborn. Or as we're going to see in John chapter 3 in just a minute, born again. Not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. John chapter 3, let's look at this one. There was a man named Nicodemus, a Jewish religious leader who was a Pharisee. It means he was a religious teacher. And one after dark evening, he came to speak with Jesus. Rabbi, he said, we all know that God has sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. Unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. What do you mean, exclaimed Nicodemus? How can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again, and then you can continue to read that conversation as you move throughout that chapter. Jesus is trying to help us to understand something about this existence. We are born into this world so that we might have the opportunity to be born into his family. There is a part of us that is yet to be. 
there is a part of us that is waiting to come forth. It's a fascinating thought, isn't it? That all throughout your life, as, as you look back into your life, if you can't find a moment in time where you've made a vow of devotion to Jesus, there are parts of you that are waiting to come alive. There are aspects to who you are that have yet to be created. And if Easter is about anything, it's about that part of you that's waiting to come alive. Jesus came out of that grave for you and for me. I'm going to give you two other references. We're not going to read them on the screen, but in John 14, we, we find Jesus talking with the disciples. Now, this is right at the end of Jesus' life. This is just coming hours before he's about ready to be crucified, and he makes this statement to his disciples. He says, and at that day, you shall know that I'm in my Father, and he in me, and I in you. Now, now, when he said that, he was saying lots of things. We could do a whole message just on those few verses. But one of the things that he was saying to them is this, is that you are going to be born into the family of God. That there's going to be a, a, a moment in time where, where you're not just going to believe in us, but you're going to be with us. And we're going to be with you in a whole new way. And then we follow the story of the Gospels, and we see Jesus' death and his resurrection, and in his resurrected state, as he begins to interact with the world as a risen Savior, he comes into the place. The disciples are confused. His followers don't understand. People have already been to the tomb and have seen that it's empty. As, as we're going to see a little bit later in a verse that we're going to read, that angels have actually appeared to some of the women who were the first ones on the scene and gave them instructions from Christ himself. But yet still the disciples, right, in their humanity, they can't fathom it. They can't quite seem to understand. And it says that as they were in that meeting place, gathered, talking, praying, doubting, doubting, Jesus passes through the wall and stands in their midst and begins to talk with them. And they begin to realize that everything that they had heard is true. And then he does something incredible. It says that he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Now, 2,000 years ago, if you were a Jewish person, that would have meant something incredibly sacred to you. It would have meant something powerful to you because... They grew up not with encyclopedias in the seven wonders of the world. They grew up with what we would call the Old Testament. Their life was immersed in it. They knew it backwards and forwards and frontwards and inside and out. They knew the stories and the verses, the prophets, the minor prophets, the Psalms, the Proverbs, all of the books of history. They were steeped in it. It was second knowledge to them. And so when Jesus stood before them and breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit, that would have meant something to them because in that moment, they would have recalled the story of creation. When Adam was formed in the, out of the dust of the earth, and the biblical narrative, narrative tells us that, that God breathes on Adam and gives him life. And in that moment, not only did he have a natural birth, but he had a spiritual birth, and he was born into the family of God. 
in that moment, in that upper room 2,000 years ago, they would have understood that in that moment that there was a rebirth taking place inside of them. They weren't just people that were born into the world. They were now people that had been born into the family of God. Because there was a part of me that is yet to be until life with Jesus begins for me. There was a part of me that is yet to be until life with Jesus begins for me. All of our children have a story that accompany their birth. Ethan's here tonight, and so it's clear they're like, oh, dear God, what is he going to say, right? The joys of being the children of a preacher. Derek, he's our oldest. He was born in 2000, which is actually a gift because we always know how old he is, right? He's just the last part of the year, last part of the year. But that means he was born during Y2K. Yeah, anybody else remember Y2K? It's all the people that grew up with encyclopedias, right? We understand. We, we, everyone was afraid the world was going to end because computers were not going to know how to take that fourth digit and become a two. This was real, people, right? Companies had contingency plans. I wasn't in vocational ministry. Then I was a senior manager for a, a, a credit card company, and one of my responsibilities, it took a year to come up with contingency plans for how we would operate and function post-Y2K. As a family, I, I knew a family that sold everything that they had moved to Costa Rica to live off the grid, right? Fear was real in society. Anybody remember? How many of you had jugs of water, canned food, and rolls of cash hidden in your house other than me? Anybody else other than me? I know you did. You just don't want to admit it. Come on. Tell the truth. D Derek was born. Now, he wasn't born until July, so we were past Y2K that happened on New Year's Eve. But all throughout that year, there was a lingering fear that all of technology was going to shut down because of Y2K, year to 2000. Ethan was born in 2002, two years later. He, he was born during the time of the DC sniper, which is not funny now, right, or, or then. But, but, but there was something that happened because of that that, that causes me to, to laugh now, is that when all of our kids were born. There was a Greek-Italian restaurant in Richmond. We lived in downtown Richmond that I knew it was my responsibility after Vanessa was back in the room and, 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 the, and the baby was safe, that it was my responsibility to go to this restaurant and buy copious amounts of food, right, for, for, for all of us to consume. We would have family there. And, and so we're, we're, we're there in, in, in the room. And so I'm thinking to myself, I'm, I'm, we're not going to this restaurant, right? There's, there's, it's dangerous outside, right? There's something tragic is happening. And, and I remember looking at my wife. My brother-in-law was there with me, Christoph Fehrenbach, and it was going to be our responsibility to go together. And I remember saying to Vanessa, I, I don't think we're going to make it to the, to, to the restaurant this year. And now, if you're a husband, there's a look that you learn, right, that says, I'm not saying any words, but I'm not agreeing with what you're saying. And we didn't even, Christoph and I knew, we knew. We just turned and walked out the door. Risked our lives for the food. She was like, I just birthed a child. You're going to go get me that food, right? You're going to get me that food. Claire was born two years later after that. Claire's big conversation around her birth, if you are a parent of multiple children, you know this to be true. You move from, from, from man defense to zone defense. When you have two children, each one takes one. 
Right? This is the motto of your home. Each one takes one. When, when, when you go to three, it's this. It's, it's, you're, you're just trying to corral and you're trying to gather. But there was another conversation that was happening in our home that year that God was speaking to us about a move, to move out of the inner city. We had been there for over 10 years, and we were moving to Mechanicsville, Virginia, and where we were on staff at a church then. But what we didn't realize is that God was doing that move to prepare us for this move to come here in 2007. See, God has a plan and a purpose for all of our lives. He has a plan and a purpose for all of our lives. And can I just tell you that part of the plan and the purpose that he has for you is for you to have a birth story, not, not just for your children, but for yourself. See, if you were to stand in front of this mirror for just a moment and, and just reminisce about your life and about your journey throughout this life, would you find a story that you could tell about the season in your life when you were born into the family of God? As you stand in front of a mirror like this, just like I was able to tell you a story about the birth of our children, could you tell a story about the birth of yourself from the moment you made a vow of devotion to him? As, as you, if you were to stand in front of this mirror and look, would you find in the story of your life a cross where you came to this place of acceptance of what Jesus did for you on that day? Because if you can't find that moment, if after the service, if someone were to say to you, tell me the story of when you were born into the family of God, if you can't find that story, then I hope that you will find it now. And so what we say to you is, welcome home. Not welcome to this church, but we hope that this Easter is a moment where you find yourself being welcomed into the family of God. We're inserting this moment that we're calling a welcome home moment in every single service until God says otherwise. Because we are convinced that every person's deepest desire is to know God and to be known by him. And that you and I are born into this world separated from him. There's something inside of us, that spiritual part of who we are, is longing to be born into the family of God. And there is an emptiness, there is a lack of life and meaning that comes until that moment takes place for us. Until we have this revelation of who Christ is. And no matter how good we are, no matter how good of a life we live, we all have regrets. We all have regrets. And one day we're going to stand before God after this life comes to an end and we're going to have to give an account for those regrets. And in God's justice system, the least, the smallest regret that we have, the Bible tells us is worthy of eternal death. And it breaks my heart to believe that there will be people on that day of judgment that that will be the very first moment in time where they have a sense of knowing God and being known by him. And we're saying as a church, we want to change that, which is why we want Jesus to be easy to find in our city but Jesus comes into that story. He comes into your story, and he says, I have good news for you. Because 2,000 years ago, just as we celebrate on this Easter weekend and every other weekend here at City Life Church, we believe that when Jesus died on that cross, he died for you and for me. He died for every regret that we've ever had, and he has, he's died for every regret we're still going to have because we're still going to make mistakes. Favorite verse of ours is 2 Corinthians 5.17 that says, if anyone's in Christ, they are a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. What is that about? It's about being born into the family of God. It's about this idea that there is a part of me that is yet to be until life with Jesus 
begins for me. And, and then he goes on to say, not, not only am I willing to forgive everything that you've done and are going to do, I'm willing to begin to change you on the inside, to give you new desires, a new way of thinking, a new way of living. This is part of what it means to be born into the family of God. So that one day when we stand before God on that day of judgment, we do not have to fear condemnation. We step into that moment with great hope, a humble hope, and a humble expectancy that because of what Jesus did for us, he does not condemn us to eternal death. He invites us into eternal life. We're telling that story every Saturday because we want people to have an opportunity here, just like you heard, so that they might believe like maybe you are believing now so that you can make a moment of confession like maybe some of you will make. So we're just going to pause here in our sermon. Can we do that? You're used to commercials. You watch TV. Come on. We're just going to pause here in our sermon and create a moment. If you're watching online, creating a moment of pause for you. That you can take these words that you're going to hear me say and make them your own. So Jesus, I believe that you're God's son. That you died for my sins and that you rose from the dead. And so on this day, this, this Easter Saturday of 2023, I make a vow of devotion to you. I make a vow of devotion to you. And I accept the forgiveness that you offer. I accept the change that you want to work in me. And I embrace the belief and the hope that one day when this life comes to an end, that you will invite me into heaven for all eternity, for eternal life. In Jesus' name, come on. And everybody said, amen. You find a way, a private moment in your life, if you've never said words like that, and that this Easter weekend becomes your story becomes your story of being born into the family of God. We're calling it Welcome Home because in that moment, those of us who have prayed that prayer, I did that for the first time in December of 1990. All of heaven says to us, Welcome Home. We are born into this world so that we might have the opportunity to be born into the family of God. There is a part of me that is yet to be until life with Jesus begins for me. The word is, you heard me say it just now, devotion. If you believe everything that I'm talking to you about tonight, if you believe everything about yourself and, 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 and about this idea of rebirth and being born again, then it should bring you into a place of devotion and a place of devotion only to Jesus because he's the only way that being born into the family of God is possible. Somebody say, nothing is too hard for Jesus. Don't believe the lie that Jesus doesn't want you because your life is too complicated. Don't believe the lie that Jesus doesn't want you because your life is too complicated. Nothing is too hard for Jesus. We're not going to go there for the sake of time, but in Mark chapter 6, we have the incredible story of the feeding of the 5,000. And in, in this story, let's just read this one part. In Mark 6, picking up in verse 30, 31, it says, And Jesus said, Let's go off ourselves to a quiet place and rest a while. And he said this because there were so many people coming and going that Jesus and his apostles didn't even have time to eat. So they left by boat for a quiet place where they could be alone. And then, they, right, just 
Let me give you the synopsis. And they began to realize that people were going to follow them. And then they were out in a remote place. Then there was not going to be enough food. It's 5,000 men alone. That's not counting the women and the children. It's tens of thousands of people. So when the disciples come and say, what are we going to do? Jesus says to them in verse 37, he says, you feed them. And they were like, with what? We got nothing. Listen to what he says. He says, how much bread do you have? Go find out. They came back and reported there were five loaves of bread and two fish. Do you think if they had come back and said, we only have two loaves of bread and one fish, Jesus would have said, can't do it. This is not going to work. I've been practicing this miracle for thousands of years. It requires five loaves of bread and two fish. Why did Jesus ask that question? Was he concerned that he wasn't going to have enough to perform the miracle which came forth where all of the people ate all that they wanted as it was distributed? They had 12 basketfuls left over. It had nothing to do with what he started with. He didn't ask the question because he wasn't sure if it was going to happen He didn't ask the question because he wanted to make sure he had enough. He asked the question because he wanted the disciples to understand that nothing is too hard for him. So when you're sitting in this room and you're thinking about this idea of being born into the family of God, do not believe the lie that your life is too hard for him to change. Do not believe the lie that you don't have enough bread and fish to offer him for him to do a work in you. You can come with nothing, and that's enough for him. If the disciples had come back and said, Jesus, we got nothing. We have checked everybody. There is no bread and there is no fish. Jesus still would have fed him. He still would have fed him. It's time for life with Jesus to begin for you. No one is too far for Jesus Don't believe the lie that Jesus doesn't want you because you have done too many bad things. Don't believe the lie that Jesus doesn't want you because you have done too many bad things. No one is too far for Jesus. Nothing is too hard for him, and no one is too far for him. No one is too far for him. You might say, Fred, I have sat through so many services like this, and I have always felt God's tug on my heart, and I have resisted him. And you're thinking to yourself, he doesn't want me anymore. I've just rejected him too many times. I'm saying to you, don't believe that lie. No one is too far for him. I love right in the middle of the Easter story, we have Peter's denial of Christ. He was supposed to be one of the people that were going to carry the church forward. He was one of the people that was handpicked by Jesus. And even before it happened, Jesus told him it was going to be. He said to him, you're going to deny me three times, Peter, before this night is over. And Peter said, never, Jesus, would I do it. But as we read the story, we know what happened. And one of the things that I love about the Easter story is the ladies went out 
to the tomb and found the stone rolled away, there were angels that were there that began to talk with them and give them instruction. And there in Mark 16, I love that one of the angels, when he said to these ladies, go back and tell the disciples, and he gave them instructions about where they were supposed to go and what they were supposed to do, he said, wait, I want to make sure you tell Peter too. Powerful. Because as people... We have a grading scale of whether or not we've gone too far. We have a grading scale of whether or not we've done too much to be forgiven. We have this scale of whether or not we are beyond his grace. They all knew that Peter was their leader and that he had failed and that he had denied Jesus. And you know all of them are thinking what we would have been thinking too. He had his chance. And it's passed him by. The angel says to these ladies, hey, 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 don't leave out Peter. In spite of what he has done, in spite of what he did, make sure you tell him to. Your history does not disqualify you from being a part of the family of God. No matter what that history is, no matter how ugly you might say that history is, there is a part of you that is yet to be until life with Jesus begins for you. It's time for life with Jesus to begin. When we are born into God's family, the Bible tells us that something remark, some remarkable things are birthed inside of us. This is part of the miracle of the story. When you're born into God's family, there are things that are born into you. When you're birthed into the family of God, there are things that come alive in you. That's this idea that there's part of me that is yet to be until life with Jesus begins for me. There's a list that's going to pop up onto the screen. This isn't a complete list. This is just some of the things that the Bible says. It's incredible. Desires, understanding, insights, new ways of thinking, passions, talents, abilities, giftedness, purposes, destiny, friends, communities, responsibilities, and dreams. And if we had time, that list could keep going. As you look back into the story of your life, if you don't find a moment in time where you've made a vow of devotion to Christ, so much of this has yet to even come alive inside of you. And it's waiting to come. It's waiting to come. Can we say that with the same anticipation that heaven had when Jesus went into that tomb on Good Friday and came out on Easter Sunday morning, the anticipation that they had for Jesus to come alive. Can I just tell you from the moment that you were born, from the moment that you were conceived, all of heaven has gathered and waited with the same kind of anticipation for the moment and the day to come when parts of you would come alive that have yet to be born. With the same anticipation they waited for Jesus to come out of the tomb, they wait for you to be born into the family of God. And as we're born into the family of God, for things to be birthed in us, for us to become the people that God created us to be. I'm going to invite the band to come back up. Even though they spilled some water, they left just enough for me. Isn't that great? Come on. Maybe it was, a, maybe it was an Easter miracle. Oh, you refilled it. Okay, all right. Dang it. It is wine, though, instead of water now. Is that, is that normal? Okay, I need a little Bible joke there. All right, all right, all right, all right. There is a part of me that is yet to be. Until life with Jesus begins for me. This is real, people. There is a part of me that is yet to be. 
until life with Jesus begins for me. If you believe that with me, I hope that you feel your heart being drawn to a place that we call devotion, the geography of the heart. Will you let your heart begin to drift to that place? Will you let your heart begin to drift to that place? I remember in 1990 when I was just doing my own thing, living my own life. And God began to speak to me. I've never heard his voice, but I felt it just like I feel it today. I was a bartender downtown in Richmond, and the band was playing, and drinks were being poured, and 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 in this part of me that can connect, right, the human spirit that enables us to connect with our Creator even before it's fully formed. There's a spark that's there for moments just like this. And God asked me this question, do you believe that Jesus is who he says he is? That's the question. Came out of nowhere, clear as day. And I didn't want to answer that question because I knew enough about conversations with God to know that once they start, they keep going. So it took weeks, but that question was waiting for me every day. And then finally, I found it within myself to say, I do. Even though I was living the way I was living, I really did, deep down in my heart, believe that Jesus is everything that he claimed to be in scriptures. And this was the next question that came. There was all kinds of things that that God could have demanded of me or asked of me. The ugliness of my life, and this is what he said. If you believe that, Fred, would you at least take the time to read what he had to say? He's so patient with us, is he not? He's so patient with us. He said, would you, would you just at least take the time to read what he, what he had to say? So for the first time in my life, that summer of 1990, I, I found a Bible, and I began to read in the Gospel of John. I had read the Bible a lot, grew up in a Christian home, but ne- had never read it for myself. Never read it for myself. And I started reading in the Gospel of John, and I got to the 10th chapter in the 10th verse, where, where, where Jesus says, I've come that you might have life and have it to the fullest possible measure and something clicked inside of me. I realized that there was a whole life that was waiting for me. I had been running from God my whole life because I thought life was better without them. But in that moment, I realized that the only way to truly live was going to be with him. And I had spent all those years settling for less. That was my moment. It's part of the story of me being born into the family of God. Do you have a story like that? Is there a story that you can tell of how God began to reach out to you and began your journey of making a vow of devotion to him? Stand with me. Father, I pray for every person that's in this room, whether they're watching online or whether they're present in this room, that if that statement means something to them, that there is a part of me that is yet to be until life with Jesus begins for me. If, 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 if that's not speaking to what they once were, but speaking to what they are now, then I pray for their heart to begin to drift, to drift towards devotion, Jesus, to you. That this Easter, they would hear all of heaven say to them, welcome home. That this would be their Easter where they would take their first spiritual breath. 
In Jesus' name, come on, let's worship together.